Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks and a move. I'm Corey Johnson. October 1st gives us episode number 108. Well, just ahead, Palantir may be losing its most controversial contract. And Merck wants to look at Acceleron's rare drugs unit. And how to build a global business one influencer at a time. The interesting story of esports technologies CEO Aaron Speech talks to us. It's the first time he's talked to anyone, but a very big acquisition that's going to be transformative for this online gambling company. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With Era, customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A.com. And we hope you listen to the drill down every single day. It's a lot easier if you use your smart speaker. Turn to your smart speaker and say, play the drill down podcast, and you'll hear our latest show. And the drill down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. All right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We've got business stories behind Stocks and Move, and we have the three most important developments in the world of business today with executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac? Corey, let's start with uh, some developments in D.C. It's being reported that the Biden administration is considering ways to impose bank-like regulation on the cryptocurrency companies that issue stable coins. The White House plans may also include prodding the firms to register as banks, now, the, move in, the moves are intended to address regulators' fears that stable coins, digital currencies pegged to national currencies like the U.S. dollar, could fuel financial panics and need to be more tightly regulated. Yeah, the heart of this is Tether and the concerns that Tether doesn't actually have the, um, the resources behind Tether to actually offer up a dollar for every uh, Tether coin value to the dollar. Tether, of course, says that it does, but it also invests a lot of those in other things to get a higher rate of return than the dollar. And breaking the buck could be catastrophic uh, to that company. And I think I think it's a reasonable concern. I think it also shows an understanding of the use of cryptocurrencies and, and how that uh, digital assets could be a real thing for the financial system and that this, this administration sees that it's not all a threat. Now to Google. Google is abandoning plans to pitch enhanced bank accounts to its users of its Google Pay digital wallet. That's according to the Wall Street Journal. The Alphabet unit was announced almost two years ago and was initially expected to debut in 2020. So that didn't happen in 2020. Well, I don't understand what was supposed to happen. What was the, is it an enhanced bank account? I'd like so, to enhance my bank account. Yeah, me too. Theoretically, the, an enhanced checking account and debit cards would be enabled at a handful of financial institutions like Citigroup and Stanford Federal Credit Unions, according to the Wall Street Journal. 
Now, what that means is um, the bank, there'd be bank branding, a digital dashboard, um, tracking how users spent and saved. It was called Plex. It was called a Plex account, but it's all no more. No more. So essentially, so that would have allowed Google to basically track all your financial transactions by offering a service to the banks. Oh, I can see where that would be problematic. In theory, that's what it would Since they also track everything else. Hmm. Now to Merck. Merck and its partner, Ridgeback Biotherapeutics, say their experimental COVID-19 pill helped prevent high-risk people early in the course of the disease. Now, this would mark a big, this would mark a big step toward providing the pandemic's first easy-to-use at-home treatment. The pill is said to cut the risk of hospitalization or death in study subjects with mild to moderate COVID-19 by about 50%. Yeah, it was just dramatic. Uh, this is a huge story, right? Because yeah. what this suggests, I mean, they, they ended the study early and started giving the, the drug to the people who had been receiving the placebo because it was so positive and they're rushing ahead trying to get, uh, it's, it's a COVID treatment. It's amazing. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's start with Palantir. Palantir trades under PLTR. Shares rose today and they've gained 157% in a year. What's going on with Palantir? So news that Palantir may be losing uh, a big contract. And I think the most controversial contract they had, uh, you may recall when the company went public and, and, and ever since, they've gotten a lot of criticism for this, what their artificial intelligence tool was doing, which was helping immigrations and customs informant, ICE uh, enforcement, um, actually go after um, people who are in this country illegally using uh, data other than police data, trying to figure out where these people were helping uh, uh, perform raids, helping ICE perform raids and find um, people who are here without documents and using artificial intelligence to do so. The program is called uh, Falcon, and that Falcon surveillance uh, meant $111 million in revenue since 2013. This according to a report in Business Insider. Uh, now, uh, they, are, they acquired a government document that suggests that ICE is looking to replace Falcon with a custom-built data mining tool called RAVE-N. I don't know why it's RAVE-N, not Raven, but whatever. <laughs> They've been working on building, ICE has been build, working on building this thing for quite some time now. The contract of Palantir is set to expire in November. That's the same month that Raven's supposed to be online and go live. So uh, that could mean that Palantir continues without its most controversial contract. Now that said, Palantir is doing just fine without that contract. It looks like they would be. Palantir is saying that their government work is really picking up because they've uh, expanded, greatly expanded, their direct sales force going after government contracts, more than 100 people. In a last conference called the end of the last quarter, the chief operating officer, uh, Shyam Shankar, talked about how that direct sales force was winning all kinds of contracts uh, within the government, which had nothing to do with immigration. You're seeing the effects of our investment in the direct sales force here. You know, we, we are really happy about the 100 or so folks we've hired in the first half of the year here. They're ramping well. Uh, we're getting a lot more account coverage here. Some really big logos in the quarter, FD Edison, National Grid, Avis, Deere, uh, and, and not just, you know, of course, commercial ex- exceptional strengths in the commercial sector, but also we're seeing that in the government sector as well with new wins like uh, with the FAA. Uh, and, and so you should expect to see more here. Of course, channels contributing. We're really happy about that. I'd say about 10% uh, of the ads came from the channel. But, but really, uh, the impact of direct sales force starting to take hold here. So uh, Palantir not leaving things up to chance by having their own direct sales force going after government work. And according to them, it's working. Corey, what is your next drill down? 
Let's look at Acceleron Pharma. Acceleron trades under XLRN. Shares rose today and they've gained 52% in a year. There's a big news with Acceleron today, huh? Huge news. They're getting acquired by Merck. Uh, Merck is going to pay $180 a share in cash. Who cares what is per share? It's 11. Well, I guess if you're a shareholder, you cared, but most of us aren't. Uh, I'm certainly not. But uh, $11.5 billion by Merck. Uh, transaction expected to close at the end of this year. Um, and this is all about cardiovascular treatment. So Acceleron is developing a drug uh, called Sotracept or Soterocept that's um, on phase three studies for pulmonary arterial hypertension or PAH. What is pulmonary arterial hypertension? It means that you can't get blood to the lungs. It means that you can't get a good deep breath it means that you can't get good um, uh, energy to your heart. One of the important tests they do, it's a, just a horrible, they do a six-minute distance test. It puts them on a treadmill and see how far they can get to determine how bad their pulmonary arterial hypertension might be. So it's a, it's a horrible uh, disease that, lead, that eventually leads to heart disease and death uh, for the people who get it. So this uh, Acceleron drug candidate, uh, it looks like it may be having some success. These guys buying this thing at $12 billion dollars Right now, Merck is with the idea that they want to be there if this drug, with hopes that this drug will be approved. But look, this concept for this drug has been around for at least a decade. Now, Merck has gotten a lot of, and here's a context, right? Merck has been criticized for a long time for not developing their own drugs when they should be putting all their resources towards developing blockbuster drugs. They're just not getting there. So here they are spending 12 billion bucks to buy this company when the notion of the science has been out there for a decade, now they're spending $12 billion to play catch up. And uh, they took some heat from this in the conference call this morning about that acquisition. Dean Yee, the president of Merck Labs, uh, was sounded a little defensive to me talking about why they're going after this very old idea for this treatment. Uh, th this pathway has had a long history and, you know, it's not just that Acceleron, it's actually derived from Genetic Institute back in the day and their purification of bone morphogenetic protein. Uh, and many of that crew led to Acceleron. The, the, um, the interest in relationship to, to uh, pulmonary vascular disease especially came probably in the 2000s when the genetics sort of demonstrated leads in relationship to that. And I think, you know, that is also what spurred Acceleron to, to advance it. At least for me, uh, the human uh, clinical data and the demonstration of Stellar uh, um, in, in, in the trials that uh, have led up to Stellar have been really the important sort of proof of concept uh, in relationship to modulating a very delicate balance uh, in a pathway that, that both has, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a seesaw. So that is what drove our interest, um, uh, and that's what drove my eye, uh, largely also because my own uh, history prior to coming to uh, Merck was very much embedded in studying these pathways. So, again, no real excuse for that, just this notion that, yeah, this has been around for a long time. Oh, I should mention their phase three trial is called Stellar. So that's kind of where Acceleron is. And so that developing toward of Stellar, that phase three trial, um, and they're, you know, high hopes that it's going to work. But again, one might have thought Merck would have gotten out ahead of this a long time ago. Corey, what's your next drill down? Let's look at neogenomics. Speaking of uh, genetic testing for diseases, 
I love that. I love it on a Friday. Neo Genomics, it trades under Neo, N-E-O. Shares were higher, but flat today, but they've gained 31% over the past 12 months. Why, why do you like genetic testing on Fridays? Why not? Well, what other days wouldn't you then like you have it? the weekend to just relax. You got you got your genetic testing done. Ooh, that's good, very nice. Good information. Good Sleep information. Well. We know how Isaac doesn't like to party. Well, um, <laughs> in fact, I'm all for genetic testing uh, of certain things. Look, we are entering this new age of genetic, genetic health. And we heard that from the last uh, company we talked about here. Um, now news, uh, thanks to uh, the terrific M&A reporter, Ed Hammond at Bloomberg. Oh, you know Ed. I know Ed. Mm-hmm. Uh, great reporter. He reporting... He's reporting that uh, Guardian Health is looking at acquiring Neogenomics. It's about a billion-dollar company. Neogenomics, uh, interesting business. So we know that there are targeted therapies specifically around cancer looking for genetic indications that targeted therapies will work on certain patients, even though they don't work on all patients. Well, to do that, you got to do the genetic tests. And to do the genetic test, you've got to have the place to do that test and the people who know how to do that test, and that is Neogenomics. They have a handful, not a ton, but this uh, Carlsbad, California-based, Orange County-based uh, company. Um, i sorry, Carlsbad-based, not Orange County, and San Diego County, right? Isn't that what, San Diego County? Carlsbad? Carlsbad? It's San Diego. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so, so Carlsbad-based company um, has uh, some labs that they've set up really focused on Purely this thing, and not just in the U.S. and a couple places in the U.S. and California and other states, uh, also in Singapore. They've also got one in Europe um, where they're focused on providing genetic results for patients who have cancer to figure out if they will benefit from targeted therapies. Obviously a really hot sector. Um, And, uh, you know, it's also attracting some competition. But in their most recent uh, meeting with investors about uh, two weeks ago with the Morgan Stanley Conference, CEO Mark Mellon of Neogenetics was asked about Competition, competition from companies like uh, Sophia Genetics, competition from other hospitals that want to just uh, put a box on a table and say, yeah, we can test it too. He says, it's not that simple. I think, you know, we, you know, I think have the leading position there with our existing menu, with the existing relationships, the fantastic services that we uh, offer. Um, We have certainly, I don't see, you know, yet such a big uh, uptake. There's a lot of talk, but not necessarily big impact on business of uh, hospitals or other customers, group practices trying to sort of internalize something like uh, NGS or uh, let's say the the, uh, multi-panel genetic testing. Um, It's more than just having a box on a table, right? The um, the chemistry, the extraction, the, uh, and of course the bioinformatics are all quite sophisticated. Um, and really being able to execute that with quality and consistency at a good, at a reasonable price is not so easy. But yet, might not be enough uh, to get them across the finish line. This is why Neogenetics looks interesting, perhaps as an acquisition candidate. All right, coming up, a huge deal. Esports Technologies signed this massive transformative deal. It's already about a $500 million company, but they announced this really important deal to change the very nature of this online gambling company company hasn't done a press conference with investors. It hasn't uh, met with anybody to talk about this very publicly, but they are coming here on the Drill Down Podcast to talk about this acquisition before they talk to anybody else. Stay tuned for the Esports Technology CEO, Aaron Speech, right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. 
Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. Or welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. As promised, we've got the CEO of eSports Technologies with that wonderful ticker, eBet. Aaron Speech joins us right now, not from the company's Las Vegas headquarters, but from Malta. Aaron, so much to talk about. We might as well start with Malta. Um, I know that a lot of cryptocurrencies have gone to Malta. It is it is secretly a technology center in, in the EU. Why are you in Malta? Hi, Corey. It's great to be on. Um, I'm... I'm here in Malta because Malta is the gaming hub for not just Europe, but really for uh, the rest of the world, specifically when it comes to sportsbook, uh, iGaming, casino, live casino slots providers in the online space. So when you're here, you just get a wealth of talent. Um, there's uh, tons of awesome uh, different employees that you can hire from in terms of the talent pool, just because uh, 15 years ago, a lot, they opened up their gambling laws and it brought a lot of the big players here. So um, for the past 15 years, Malta has been growing uh, exponentially and it's been, been due to the, the gambling environment. You've also got fiber to the continent. So, so they've yeah. got really, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of data centers. I think Google's got a big operation in Malta as well. Yeah, no, the internet's fantastic out here. It, it would have to be um, for, for all the gambling operations. So uh, let's let's back up a little bit. So, what's your business? Describe how eSport makes money. eSport Technologies, I should say. Yeah. So, I founded the company five years ago with the main goal of bringing a gambling uh, product to uh, a younger demographic. One of the main issues in the wagering space, be it brick and mortar um, or the online space, is just um, you know getting younger customers into their platform. You know, brick and mortar solved this by adding entertainment properties like Cirque du Soleil and nightclubs and pool parties, but online's really struggled to figure this out. So we decided we set out to um, fix this problem by offering esports and by creating a one-click betting site that was much more user-friendly than than what you found on the traditional sport betting sites. Yeah. And we should get to the news of the day. You guys have announced a really big deal. Like a, it seems to me it's a transformative deal today. It also seems like it's nascent. Describe to me the deal. Uh, let's play this game. You describe to me how great the deal is, and I'll describe how much the deal sucks, and then you can tell me what a moron I am. So yeah, please, no you go problem. first. Yeah, well, this deal is absolutely amazing for us. Um, not only are we bringing over $80 million in revenue and a strong EBITDA profile, but we're actually bringing over 1.2 million players from their database with 56,000 monthly active users. And more importantly, those players, uh, 70% of them are between 18 and 40 years old, which is exactly the demographic that we're looking for when we want to cross-sell to esports. So Aspire doesn't currently offer esports to those customers. So we saw it as a great synergistic opportunity because not only could we grow their business wider by adding more players into their current business pipeline, but we can grow it deeper because we can now offer more um, betting opportunities for their customers. So um, for us, it's, it's, it's really about the synergies that we saw with the transaction, as well as, you know, the size of the transaction itself. Now, the, the, uh, talk to me about the size of the transaction. What is this transaction going to cost you to get this uh, the, so their trailing revenue was seventy four. Call it seventy three point nine. Let's call it seventy four million dollars and profitable. Yep, just about a ten percent EBITDA margin, which is pretty good. Correct. Yeah. So we are paying sixty five million euros uh, for the transaction. 
And uh, so here's the catch. You don't have the money. <laughs> so, how are you, so that's one way, way the deal sucks. Although I guess if you can agree to buy a business before you pay them, that's the, without the money necessary to do it. Where are you getting the money? You mentioned a, a certain investors with a private placement. Uh, talk to me about where you're getting that money. Yeah, so, so we did 36.2 million in a private placement. We did 30 million in a senior secured lending instrument. And then um, we a are promissory doing, note, basically. Correct. Yeah, senior senior note. And then uh, we did a, a secondary note with uh, Aspire itself. And then we um, kicked them five million uh, euros worth of common stock. So that's how now, we, we um, achieved. And now is the is the deal close? Because the press release, at least, says there are future adjustments that the deal is subject to when there are warrants to purchase common. So the, the, the cost of the deal looks like it's still a moving target to me. No, the price is not a moving target. Um, we're just waiting on shareholder approval. Uh, the MGA has to approve the license transfer. And then the rest would be just um, securing the loan documents. So we expect to Sorry, do that MGA? very quickly. Uh, from the MGA, we would need to uh, get the, What's the license. MGA? Sorry. Sorry, uh, the Malta Gaming Authority. So yeah. the, the Malta so license. And this company is based in Malton. Where are the players based? The players are uh, mostly based in the, uh, Western Europe. Uh, the main two countries are UK and Germany. About and 70% of the customers are from uh, UK and Germany. I mentioned this is transformative because it looks like, you know, prior to this, your, your revenues were de minimis. Yeah, so we were transitioning from our previous platform provider. And um, once we raised our Series A, we realized that in order to scale, that was going to be necessary. So our, our revenues did take a hit in the last few quarters. Um, that's because we've been building out our technology um, to really improve our offering and our sports odds for our esports customers. Now that we've done this deal with Aspire and we're going to be launching our GoGawi product on the Aspire platform, and our esports book product, which will be launched throughout uh, Western Europe and the United States. On the Aspire platform, we can now integrate our own odds feeds, which is absolutely crucial to the success of our esports um, wagering products. And the, the business of, of setting odds, you'll be setting odds on what kind of bets, what sports or so on? Yeah, so we, you know, we'll have all traditional sports, um, so NFL, MLB, but the, the main uh, you know, attraction we have on our site is the eSports. So that would be League of Legends, Dota 2, Counter-Strike. And believe it or not, these tournaments are massive and there are tons of fans. So last year alone, there was 550 million total eSports fans uh, and 280 million of those are considered hardcore fans. So when you look at numbers like that, and, and you can really see that esports wagering is going to be huge business in the future. And when you have tournaments yeah, I mean, like I, the, the, you the don't have to convince me. I've got I've got four yeah. teenagers. I I know this well. <laughs> yeah. So so those are our primary offerings. But right now, here's the issue with esports wagering: the odds are completely out of whack. If you go bet on soccer, um, you know, or the NFL, you'll typically see um, odds percentages. You know, with the hold that the um, the bookmaker is going to make around 3.3% to 4.5%. In esports, the best you can get is 6.5%, but most of them are running 85 and 9.5% odds, which is absolutely ripping off the esports customer. 
So, you know, we filled out our odds trading team with PhDs and mathematicians. You know, those people would generally be working on traditional sports. We place them front and center on the esports side because we're focusing on being able to offer three and a half and, and four and a half percent odds to our customers. And um, if you can offer the best odds, that's your best marketing tool in any wagering platform. It also, uh, the, from what little I've looked at this, it seems like the the, the odds are very different from site to site that there's, you know, if you, if you bet, you know, Raiders chargers, um, the, everyone knows what the line is and the line barely moves. And when it moves, they tend to all move in concert. That's not the case with esports. Yeah. It's because, it, because bookmakers right now don't have faith in the odds. That's why they do that. Um, and when they don't have faith in the odds, the way they mitigate the risk is by creating a larger spread uh, you know, we have faith in our odds and that's why our odds are going to be better than anybody else's in the business because we do them ourselves, And, you know, we put our most talented people uh, in the esports side. Now explain to me the corporate structure. Your company's officially based in Vegas. As you mentioned, you're in Malta. It sounds like most of your customers now are going to be in Europe, um, at least for the, for the near future. Um, explain to me the corporate structure and how you kind of came to be. Yeah, well, I founded the company five years ago and we, we opened the business in Las Vegas. Our main goal was to go after Southeast Asia and Latin America. And we did that very successfully. We got 65,000 customers on our platform throughout those regions. Right. And, um, you know, we, we did a lot of guerrilla, you know, marketing and, and did really well with, with a lean marketing budget for the first uh, few years. But once we raised oh, the wait, I'm going to have you back up. Yeah. Tell me about that. I am a huge fan of guerrilla marketing. Yeah. Um, talk to me about what you did. So we basically just hit up influencers in the region, right? Some micro influencers, people that only had, you know, 1,000, 2,000, 10,000 subscribers on YouTube, Twitch. And we just got a whole bunch of them, people that were passionate about esports, people that had dedicated followings and people that trusted them. And, and we really built our fan base up. Um, we really built, built our customer base up through the, those fan bases. So th that was really the the only way we marketed for the first three years. Um, and you, what, you just write to these strangers and say, hey, check us out, talk about our site. Yeah. And we would pay them, of course, sponsored posts. Um, and, and that worked. That helped you grow an initial audience. And, th and yeah, that, that, that got, put you to where? That got us up to 65,000 customers. Um, so and what's your average revenue per customer there? In the... Um, Philippines, you know, the average bet is around $12 and Brazil, it's around 11. And uh, the cost per customer was around 60, 70. And their LTV would be in the 200 range in the Philippines and like a little less than 200 in Latin America. So you'd pay, you'd pay about 60 bucks to get a subscriber and they'd, they'd spend about 120 bucks with you, uh, US dollars. Um, and then you take what, 6% of that, 5%? No, 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 that was actual what we would make. That's the revenue on okay, the customer. So, yeah, wagers yeah, was significantly yeah. higher. So we actually got the business to about 1.3 million in wagers per month, which is about 50 to 60,000 in revenue. And so tell me more about these customers. How long do they, how often do they bet? How long do they remain a customer? Do you even know at this early stage of the game? Yeah, I mean, well, sportsbook customers are the most loyal customers. And, you know, currently we are going after a younger demographic which means they don't have as much disposable income.
but we're really using the playbook of Bet365 and Pinnacle from 20 years ago. You know, those businesses um, were called crazy because they weren't really taking horse racing bets. They were more focused on soccer bets. And the bookmakers at the time said, that's nuts. You got to take horse horse racing. Soccer doesn't make you any money because the, the player base is too young. Well, now those are the biggest sports books in the world because they built off the younger generation. Now we have a huge opportunity to go out and, and spend the money for this younger demographic. They may not spend the most um, when they start, but over time, um, they're very loyal to platforms. Sports bettors are some of the most loyal customers of any gambling product to a particular platform. So our strategy is really um, to, to get the customers between 18 and 40 years old and then have them be on our platform for the next 30, 40 years. Now, see if you can explain your income statement to me. Just I realize the business is transformed by the deal you're announcing today. And I want to thank you for coming to discuss it first with the Drill Down Podcast. We're grateful for that. Um, in Absolutely. fact, it'll be well before your press conference or your press, uh, your investor conference in the end of uh, the day on Monday. So we're even more grateful. Yeah. But when I look back on your your trailing numbers, right? So I see, is it just 41000 in revenue in the June quarter? Correct. Yes. Um, and and yet uh, uh, over a million dollars in technology expenses in that same quarter. Explain that to me. Yeah. So we are spending money to build out our odds of modeling um, technology. You know, that is first and foremost for us. We also have our browser bets technology, which will allow consumers to have frictionless betting and bet directly in the stream of the eSport that they are watching or really any sport that they're watching. And that's just as simple as downloading um, our extension to your Google Chrome or your Firefox. And then you'll be able to actually see the bets overlaid on your screen. And then you can neatly hide it away if, if, when you're done placing your bets. Um, we really see that as a fantastic uh, consumer product uh, that allows you know easier betting for our customers. And then we have our Hedgehog product, which is our betting exchange. So similar to Betfair, but um, focused on the esports side. So Betfair really doesn't offer a lot of uh, esports options when it when it comes to a betting exchange, and we want to fill that gap. So you know we've you know we are esports technologies. We are a technology focused company. And, you, you know, we are going to invest heavily on the tech side. Now, but when I look at the, you know, again, going back to 41,000 in revenues and, and call it a million dollars in marketing expenses, I'm not great at math, but that seems like if that were the return on, on the marketing expense, we'd need, you need to have a customer for, they might be the most loyal customers in the, in the world, but 23 quarters worth of revenues to break even on the marketing expense doesn't seem uh, sustainable. No. So a lot of that marketing expense actually went towards our esports games product. So esports games are free to play app. Uh, it's available in the United States, uh, Philippines, um, pretty much any English speaking country. And we've really invested heavily in the marketing of that product. We've got 100 and I think we're sitting 125,000 downloads, maybe a bit more now. And that product is a free to play predictive product. So it allows us to get consumers in the US onto the app itself. And then once we get licensed in each uh, region in the US, we will be able to flip them into customers. But we wanted to be able to offer some sort of esports wagering product to the US while we weren't licensed there. So we've been investing heavily into that product. And it's, it's interesting too, that your merger partner has decided to sign on with you. They clearly see something there um, that, that hasn't shown up in the results yet. Maybe it is that marketing and that, that outreach. Is that the, is it, you think that's what they see in you? 
I think, you know, they had several suitors and what they saw in us was the ability to offer their customers something new. You know, I mean, we are bringing over 14 of their employees, which is fantastic. And we're going to be able to grow that business at the rate it's been growing. But we think we can grow it faster because we are going to um, be able to offer those customers a new product. Aspire doesn't have an esports product in their portfolio. And I'm sure they recognize that's just that's something they're going to want into the future. So it really is a match made in heaven. Otherwise, you know, they could have had the option of going um, with somebody with more revenue uh, prowess. But I think this was had great synergies from both sides. Um, and let me finally ask you, when do you expect it looks like because it's a profitable business should be a creative right off the bat. When do you expect to sort of get this thing into the fold and get a shareholder approval and so on? So this will start showing up on your financial statements. Yeah, we're ho- ha- hoping to have it all wrapped up in the next 45 to 60 days. Interesting. Interesting company, Aaron Speech, joining us from Malta. You, you are, we're, we're well over 100 episodes into the show. You're our first Maltese guest. <laughs> awesome. Um, so we really appreciate your time. Aaron Speech is the CEO of Esports Technologies. Well, when we return, we're going to have uh, one number that means a whole lot, that drill down bite. Uh, we're going to look at the big expense of sales and marketing this company's already had just in the last year. We'll have that number, and it's a big one when the drill down continues. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A acom And you can listen to The Drill Down on your smart speaker. Just turn to your smart speaker and ask it to play The Drill Down podcast, and you'll hear the very latest show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. All right, we're back with the Drill Down Bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. We were talking about the sales and marketing expense, and I, I, I tease it as being huge, Isaac. Relative to, you know, trailing revenues in the last nine months or last year of call it about... Uh, I don't know, $130,000, $150,000 company has spent, and here's your number, $2,286,228 in sales and marketing. Uh, so Takes money to make in, money. Uh, and what, that money's Isn't that what grandma spent. used to say? Yeah. Um, my grandma had never said that. None of my grandmothers ever said that <laughs> to me. Well, you know, but it's the difference know. between our families. <laughs> yeah, they were they were cheap. My people were cheap. All right, we appreciate your time. We are glad you're listening to the Drill Down Podcast. We appreciate you listening every day like so many of you do. We also appreciate hearing from you, so reach out, as Isaac suggested moments ago. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. I'm Corey Johnson. Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network. Drill Down.